This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Please to the book of 2 Kings, chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. Reading from verse 1. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. And he said, Go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, then pour it out into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she came from him and shut the door behind her and her two sons. He brought the vessels to her and she poured it out. It came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. But he said to her, there is not another vessel. And so the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God. And he said, go, sell the oil and pay your debt. And you and your sons live on the rest. Amen. So here's the story of a woman who had a great, great need through no fault of her own. She had fallen upon really, really hard times. So we see she had lost her husband through death. She was about to lose her two sons through debt. Now that's not a good place to be. I mean, between a, a rock and a hard place when you're in that situation. And death had robbed her of the security that she had in her past and her present. And debt was going to rob her of any security that she might have had for her future. So she's in a desperate situation. And this woman was a faithful woman. Faithful to God. Faithful to her husband. Faithful to ministry. Faithful to the prophet. She had made her sacrifices, no doubt. I'm sure there was times that they both lived on the bread line. There would be no salary. There certainly would be no pension. There'd be no nest egg. There'd be no savings. And I'm sure there's times they just lived hand to mouth. But they were happy to do that. They were serving the Lord. And they were blessed in doing that. But now here she's in the position where overnight she has nothing Lost her husband, sons is about to be taken away, and she's in dire straits. So I wonder how she felt at that moment. Apart from her natural grief and losing her beloved husband. But I wonder, did she feel a little angry? Or disappointed? Or maybe disillusioned? After all, they had served the Lord. They had made lots of sacrifices to be in ministry. And no doubt the enemy would come along and whisper in her ear, ah, that's what you get for serving God. Look at the state you're in today. 
See the sacrifices you made. What thanks did you get for that? Look at you. You're in deep trouble. And there's no one to help you. Nobody cares. And so at this point, she could have done what multitudes before her and after her have done. She could have given up. She could have quit. She could have folded. She could have buckled. She could have run up the white flag. She could have surrendered. And she could have said, do you know what? I give up. There is no point in serving God. Might as well have not even bothered because look what's happened to me. But this woman was made, her strong, made of stronger stuff than that. She did not give up. She would not give up. She knew and she felt there must be an answer. God is God in spite of my current situation. And God is in control. There had to be an answer. And there was. And she did get an answer. And she did get an outstanding miracle of provision. But how did that happen? Well, first of all, she went to the man of God. It says she cried unto the Lord. The man of God was the closest to God on earth that she knew. And so she went to the man of God. She cried unto the Lord. And she did not just passively accept this and say, well, okay, sarah, sarah, whatever will be, will be. She wasn't like that. She's a bit like the Syrophoenician woman, remember, who came to Jesus asking about healing for her child. And how that Jesus said, well, it's not fitting, it's not right that I should take the children's bread that belongs to the Jews and cast it to the dogs. Because religious Jews in those days felt that anybody else other than a Jew was a dog, especially pagans and Syrophoenicians. And so Jesus was testing her. And the little woman says, well, that's right, Lord. You're absolutely right. I'm paraphrasing. I'm not a child of the covenant. You're absolutely right. But even the little dogs... The puppies, at least they get the crumbs that falls from the master's table. All I'm asking is a crumb. That's all I want. Just a crumb will be enough. <laughs> Woman, great is your faith. <laughs> he was so impressed. But you see, most people, if they had to come to Jesus, and she could have said, she could have said, Lord, I came to you. I asked for mercy. I wanted healing for my child. I wanted you to do something for me. And all you've done is insult me. And she could have been so insulted and felt so offended that she could have stormed off. But she didn't. She says, no, Lord, just, just give me a crumb. That's all I need. And the Lord gave her what she wanted. You remember the man who had a visitor late one night at midnight? Unexpectedly, this man visited his home. And then to his horror, he discovered because of Eastern hospitality, apart from putting him up for the night, uh, you had to feed him. But to his horror, he had no bread in the house. How humiliating that was. And so he went to his friend at midnight, knocked on his door. And he was looking some bread. He needed a loaf or two. 
And a man looked out the top window and said, what do you want? He says, well, I have a friend come at midnight. I have no bread. I need you to help me. Give me some bread. And the man was angry. And he says, it's midnight. I'm in bed. My children in bed. The door's locked. Go away. Give my head peace, we would say. But did he? No. He kept knocking. He says, no, I need some bread. You're my friend. Give me bread. And the Bible says... Because of his importunity, he gave him what he desired. Importunity means his shamelessness, his shame facelessness. We would say no skin on his face. <laughs> he didn't care what he thought. He says, I need bread. Please give it to me. He persisted, and he got what he wanted. Sometimes, occasionally, God offends the mind to reveal the heart. Jesus gave what could have been an offense to that little woman to reveal what was in her heart. But what he found in her heart was faith and perseverance. Do you remember Naaman the leper who came to the prophet, that great war general of the Syrians? And he came wanting to be cleansed and how that the prophet didn't even go out to meet him, sent his servant, says, tell him to go wash in the Jordan. <laughs> and he was highly indignant. He was greatly offended. <laughs> and he went off in a huff. And then one of his entourage says, Master, if he'd asked you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? Well, of course. He says, well, just go and wash. Just do what he's asked you to do. He complained about the river. There's a better rivers at home if we want to just go and have a dip. But he was highly offended. But God offended his mind to reveal his heart because his heart was full of pride and he needed to get rid of his pride. But he did get rid of his pride and he did go and dip in the Jordan seven times and then his skin was cleansed completely. And so she cried unto the Lord. Now, God was going to teach this woman a very valuable lesson. And the valuable lesson that we all need to be reminded is this, that there is a need that is greater than your needs. There's a need that's greater than your needs. This woman had a great need, but there was a need greater than her great need. There was a greater need. Someone may say, my greatest need is healing. No, there's a need greater than that. Someone may say, well, my greatest need is a financial need. David, if you knew my financial situation, it's great need. No, you have a greater need than that. Somebody may say, well, I need a partner. I need a husband. I need a wife. I'm sick and tired. I hate this singleness. That's my greatest need. No, you've got a greater need than that. Somebody may say, well, I need a job. <laughs> I really need a job, and I need a good job. No, there's a greater need than that. As much as those may, those may be a great need in your life, and I'm not downplaying any of that, but there's a greater need. Your greatest need, no matter what your need 
is that you believe is your greatest need. Your greatest need above all of that is to trust God, is to wholly, completely lean on Him, to completely and wholly trust Him for everything in your life, that you will get the breakthrough that you need, no matter what that is, that your faith in God will prove God to be what He said in His Word He is. That's our, all of our greatest need. Me, you, every one of us is to completely and utterly trust God. You see, Elisha was trying to get her, her focus of her needs onto her greatest need. She needed to focus not on the problem, but on the answer to the problem. At the minute, she could only see the problem. And I don't know about you, but whenever a problem rises in my life, probably like everybody else, it takes up a lot of my thinking time. A lot of my focus goes on that problem when it should be going on to the answer to the problem, which is God. It's the Lord is the answer to the problem. You see, if I, if I look down tonight at Gary and Liz and just say for one moment, they are my problem, they're not. They're a beautiful couple without favor, I can say that. But just for purpose of illustration, if I looked and said, that's my problem right there. I'm focusing on them. They're my problem. Now, I can see all of you in my peripheral vision, but I'm not paying attention to you and I'm paying attention to them. That's my focus. That's my problem. That's my focus. My, my answer may be over there. My answer may be over there. My answer may be here, but I'm looking at the problem. I can't see really. I, I see it. I know it's the, the answer is there, but I'm not focusing on it. I'm focusing on my problem. And Elisha needed to get her off her problem onto the answer. And that's what he was trying to do. To get her off her deed and onto the answer. So he says, what shall I do for you? What shall I do for you? Tell me. What shall I do for you? What is it? that you want me to do. Be specific. This is what I want you to do. And so he's focusing now on the answer. He's trying to shift her thinking onto the answer. Tell me, what shall I do for you? God's willingness to give is often greater than our readiness to receive. God's more willing to give oftentimes than we're ready to receive. And so he says, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? Sometimes God wants us to do something, to give him something to work with. Not that he needs it, but that we need to do it in order to get us focused on the right thing. What do you have in the house? Mary and Martha, I know your brother's behind that great stone and that tomb for four days. He knew he was going to raise him from the dead. Jesus, who had the power of the resurrection, could have just spoke and that big stone could have just went sideways on its own. You remember Peter when he was in a prison at one point and the angel slapped him and woke him up 
and told him to get out. And he walked out, and there was a big iron gate that just opened of its own accord because God can do that type of thing. But in this case, he said to Mary and Martha, roll away the stone. He was changing their focus. Roll away the stone. Do something. And they rolled away the stone. And so the man with the withered hand standing in the synagogue, stretch forth your hand. Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do. He knew exactly how he was going to hit him, but he wanted him to be involved. Stretch forth your hand. And he did it publicly in front of everybody. Stretch forth your hand. And so there's going to be times whenever God will expect us to do something, to exercise our faith, to do something. Then he says, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. Psalm 31, 19. Oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust in you in the presence of the sons of men. Go borrow vessels from all of your neighbors, everybody that you know that knows you, everybody that knows your situation, that knows the dire straits you're in. Go and borrow their vessels. No doubt they were curious to know why. And I'm sure they asked her, why in the world do you want my vessel? Why do you want these pots? But she went out with her sons and they borrowed those vessels. Do all you can humanly do. Fill up the water pots with water, Jesus said at the Feast of Canaan, the marriage feast. Could not Jesus, who turned water into wine, could he not turn air into water? Would that have been any harder? I don't think so. But there was something in getting them involved. Fill up the water pots with water. Roll away the stone. Go wash in the Jordan. What have you got? We have only five loaves and two fishes. That's all we've got. Bring them to me. Do something. Jesus said to those disciples, launch out into the deep. Let down your net for a draft. They didn't feel like it. They thought it was stupid. But he challenged them to do it. And as they did it, the miracle happened. Said to the ten leprous men, go show yourselves to the priest as a testimony. Go show yourselves to the priest. And they looked at themselves and nothing happened. How would you feel if you had been in their position and Jesus told you to go and show yourselves to the priest because the priest had to pronounce you clean before you could integrate society again. How would you feel if he told you to go and show yourself to the priest and you looked and thought, well, I know what he's going to say because look, I'm covered in leprosy. But it took a bit of obedience and faith to take those steps. How far along the road before suddenly, miraculously, they were cleansed? I don't know. Ten steps, 
half a mile, one mile, who knows? But as they went, the Bible says, as they went, they were cleansed. They had to do something. He didn't cleanse them first and then say, now that you're clean, now go. He says, go and show yourselves. As they went, then they were cleansed. Every step of faith this little woman took, every vessel she borrowed brought her near to her breakthrough. Every vessel brought her near to her breakthrough. Then he said, verse 4, Go in, shut the door upon you and your two sons. A door does two things. It shuts things in and it shuts things out. And some things need to be shut in and some things need to be shut out. We need to shut out the voices that will tell us it can't be done. It's not going to happen. You're never going to get this. You'll never get that job. You'll never get that partner. You'll never get that hating. You'll never get that money. You'll never, you'll never, you'll never, you'll never. That voice needs to be shut out. It's so corrosive to our spirit, isn't it? I mean, when you listen to that voice all day, how do you feel? You don't feel any faith, do you? You don't feel any trust. You don't even feel like a bang. You don't feel like doing anything. And we need to shut in things like hope and faith and focusing on the answer. And we need to shut out those things that make us waver and doubt. And so he says, go in, shut the door on you and your two sons. Only you and God. <laughs> not your neighbors, not anybody else, not your friends, just you and God. Shut yourselves in. And sometimes it comes right down to that, isn't it? It comes down to us and God, doesn't it? It comes down to us and God. And that's what it was like for this little woman. And then notice in verse 6, the oil only stopped flowing when the vessels were full. The supply only stopped when the need was met in full. She said to her sons, bring me yet another vessel. And they said, there is no more vessels. That's the last one. And at that point, the oil ceased. That flow of oil, which was infinite, which could have been never ending, it ceased only when the need was met. In other words, God's supply is always greater than our need. And his supply only stops when the need is met. When she did the thing that God wouldn't do, God did the thing that she couldn't do. The only limiting factor here was the demand, not the supply. So our demand, our need... will never be bigger than God's supply. Never. Impossible. His supply is always greater. And then, in verse 7, God is a very practical God. 
Go sell the oil and pay your debt. That's the first thing. It's unfortunate that she had debt. How she had debt, I don't know. Husband obviously had borrowed, thinking that there might be better times ahead, but there weren't. Because when he died, she was left with a mess and the debt. You have to remember in those days, it's hard enough being a widow today, but in those days, it was really, really hard. No social security system, no help, nothing. Unless a family member helped, unless somebody took pity on you, you were literally on your own as a widow. And that was the case with this woman because the only one she had was her two sons and they were going to be taken as slaves, which was biblical in those days. To pay your debt, the person you owed the debt to could take your sons away to work for them to work off that debt. Indentured slavery, it was called. Now, they had to be good to them. They couldn't be bad to them, but they had to take them to pay the debt. And this is where this woman was. So he says, go, sell the oil, pay off your debt, and then you and your sons live off the rest. There was a lot of oil. I don't know how many vessels they borrowed. The house was coming down with it. And I can imagine immediately she had a wee cottage industry going there. I, I can imagine her going back to her neighbors and saying, you know, I, I really want to thank you for lending me that big jug. But look at it. Look, look at the oil I've got in it. Look, did you ever see oil you got in your life? Look how golden it is. Look how pure this oil is. Would you like to buy my oil? In fact, I'll give you 10% off it for being a good neighbor. And so she'll drown all of her neighbors and she'll sell her oil. She'll pay her debt. And then she would have money to live on. And of course now she paid her debt. She still has her two sons who can work. And so this woman started out simply looking for mercy. Then she got a miracle. And now she's got means. She's a woman of means. She sold all she had, and she lived of the rest. God is so practical. Isn't it interesting that the very first miracle that Jesus ever did was at the wedding feast in Cana, where that young bridegroom who was going to be so embarrassed, it was his duty to make sure there's going to be enough wine for the wedding reception which would last about a week in those days. Can you imagine that? And of course, the wine was running out fast. And he was going to be humiliated and embarrassed in front of his in-laws. Always make a good start in front of your in-laws. <laughs> Don't all look over in that corner there now. <laughs> There's Miles over there now. He's, he's, he met the in-laws this year for the first, the future in-laws, I should say. So he's going to be embarrassed. But Jesus was there. And he turned the water into wine. A very practical thing to do. Save the day. What a bad start that would have been to this young man's marriage. He wouldn't have been seen as a good provider. But this saved the day. See, God is very, very practical, isn't he? Five loaves and two fishes saved the day. Those people had sat listening to Jesus for three days. They were hungry. They had everything they brought with them. All their lunches were long gone. But they were so fascinated with Jesus' teaching. 
And the disciples, their bellies were rumbling, and they said, send them away. Send them into the villages where they can buy more. Jesus says, no, you give them some date. That was a shocker to them, wasn't it? You give them some date. We don't have anything. We'll find something. Wasn't it Philip come back and says, look, that's all we've got, five loaves and two fishes. But God's a very practical God. And Jesus multiplied that and fed that great multitude. You remember whenever Jairus' daughter, his little girl who died, the hold up between when he found Jesus and got back to his house was the little woman with the issue of blood. The time he got back to the house, it says, you needn't cry, you needn't bother the master any further, your child is dead. And Jesus said to him, don't be afraid. And Jesus raised her up. What was the first thing Jesus said after he raised that little girl up? Give her something to eat. How practical is that? She probably hadn't had for days, maybe hadn't had for weeks. But as soon as she was well and healed, give her something to eat. Let's be practical. Remember the man of Gadara who was walking naked in the tombs out of his mind? controlled by dark forces and Jesus set him free and delivered him and he was found clothed sitting in his right mind. Where did he get the clothes? God's a very practical God. I could imagine Jesus told those to say, hey, way down and get this man and guy in here. He can't run about, I guess. I'm setting him free. Make sure he's got something to wear. Jesus gave that Roman centurion his servant back. He gave the widow of Nain her son back. She was out setting out to bury him. Even that Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, the favorite home that Jesus used to visit, he gave them their brother back. Probably he was the breadwinner. How long he lived after that, we don't know, but probably a number of years. But he gave that family, the brother, back. He gave the lame man his legs back. He gave the blind man his eyes back. All practical miracles. Because God knows we need, oftentimes, something that's just practical. Our needs, sometimes, are practical needs. And he knows what we need, more than we know what we need. But our greatest need, by far, is to trust him. It's to say, God, I don't know how to work this out. I don't know how you're going to do this, but I know that you will do it. I'm going to trust you to do this for me or for my family or whatever. I'm going to depend wholly on you. I'll leave the details to you, but I'm going to trust you. That's what Elisha was doing with this wee woman, getting her eyes off the problem and onto the answer. And thank God, she listened, and she got a great miracle. She got her breakthrough. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you know us better than we know ourselves. And every one of us sitting in this room tonight has got a need. Some are greater than others. But to us, as individuals, it's our need. But we thank you that our need is greater than that need. 
And so we're trusting you tonight. We're going to believe because you know our situation. You know where we are right now in this life. And you know our future. You know the end from the beginning. And so we thank you that you're even in our future before we get there. And so we're going to trust you to work all the details out. We're going to believe in your goodness and your faithfulness and your mercy and your compassion. We're going to believe for your healing. We're going to believe for that need that we have. We're going to believe for financial needs. If it's a partner we need, whatever it may be, Lord, we're going to trust you and lean on you and depend upon you to bring it forth. So we give you thanks for this in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.